So much truth we have seen in the book of Ephesians. It's God's word. Uh, of course, there is truth in there. I, I, I have a question. Last week, I, if you were here, I gave husbands and wives an assignment. I said to, uh, to read chapter 5, verses 20 through 22 through 33, and I encouraged husbands to, to come up with what uh, the first three verses there was saying to your wives, and wives, I encouraged you to look at 25 on and come up with what God was telling your husband to be and do. And I just wonder, I know there were some that did it because we got a few text messages throughout the course of the week of, of uh, couples just having conversation and doing the homework that they said they got at church. And I, I meant to suggest last week that that if you got into trouble or you had questions or there was sort of a debate rising in your marriage, that you could be free to text me or email me questions, and we would help you kind of navigate that. So if you did that, and, and you're at a place where you're not sure you understand, or one of you says, no, it's this, and the other says, no, it's this, send me a message, and we'll, we'll try and help you uh, wrestle through the meaning of, uh, there's some great stuff in chapter 5, verses 22 through 33. Now, this morning, we are uh, moving on to the final message, and we're going to actually start in Ephesians chapter 6, verse 10. Before, but before I do that, I want to let, uh, uh, tell you what the top 10 things the Apostle Paul would have done if he had had a computer. Okay, number 10, download MP3s of the Righteous Brothers for entertainment while on those long and tedious missionary journeys. Number 9, visit webmd.com about that persistent pain in his flesh that he had. Uh, number 7, he, or number 8, include virus protection software in his list of spiritual armor. Uh, number 7, proclaim to live is Christ, to die is to have a 28K modem. We don't even know what that is anymore, honestly. Uh, many of us don't. Anybody still have dial-up? Yeah, see, that's what I thought. Uh, number six, boat tickets using, or uh, book boat tickets using Priceline.com. Number five, email pictures of Peter eating pork to the gang back in Jerusalem. <laughs> number four, assign church officers, pastor, elder, deacon, system administrator. Boy, do we need those around here sometimes. Fortunately, Caleb is pretty good at that. Uh, number three, uh, use decryption software to interpret tongues. Number two, describe conversion experience as the divine reboot. And number one, add spam to list of cardinal sins. Now, I give that illustration simply to uh, get us to think about the fact that we live in a different world today than Paul did 2,000 years ago. Uh, we live in a different world today than we did, it, honestly, a couple decades ago. People think differently. People make decisions differently. People act differently. But, but the truth of the matter is, this book right here, the Bible, God's Word that we study every week, has not changed. It is no less applicable today than it was 2,000 years ago when it was first penned by Paul and the other disciples that Jesus had record scripture, and we need, to, we need to remember that. So, if you would, turn to Ephesians chapter 6. Now, uh, I, 
I, I heard a pastor say this week, he said this, if we're walking worthy of our calling, which Paul has talked about, in humility rather than pride, in unity rather than divisiveness, in the new self rather than the old, in love rather than lust, in light rather than darkness, in wisdom rather than foolishness, in the fullness of the Spirit rather than drunkenness of wine, and in mutual submission rather than self-serving independence, then we can be absolutely certain we will have opposition and conflict in our life. What a good summary of the last couple chapters, and what a good thing for us to be reminded of. We will absolutely face conflict and opposition. All too often, I think, in our modern-day American, uh, well-to-do, honestly comfortable life and world that we live in, we can forget that the struggle that we face each day and the challenges that we have in our life each day is not simply because we live with other human beings. There is more to the story than that. There is so much more and that, that is real to us. Uh, we need to be reminded and not forget that Satan is attempting to destroy us. He is real. Now, it could be that you don't really believe it at all. Maybe you don't necessarily agree that Satan is real and that there are demonic powers that are working behind the scenes among our world. But I think we're going to see today that that is true, that he is real. I mean, Jesus' own ministry began in a great battle with Satan that lasted for 40 days. And if we're if we were to go there, and, and that's actually found in Matthew chapter 4, if you want to re write that down in your notes and look at that, um, we would see the reality of this spiritual battle that occurs around us and to us that Jesus himself faced. And the fact that Satan is the great deceiver, he has been ever since he landed on this planet, and he doesn't play fair. In fact, he will do whatever he can to, to twist your understanding of Scripture, to twist how you read it, how you understand it, to get you to think certain ways. We see that with Jesus. How did Satan tempt Jesus but to misquote Scripture? Read it. It's right there in Matthew chapter 4. We have to recognize and we have to acknowledge that he is a constant deceiver. And that many times in this world that we walk in, it is not as it really seems. Now, this, of course, isn't the most comforting news, but it is necessary for us to know. It is necessary for us to acknowledge that as a, as a Christian continues, as we continue to seek to grow and be transformed by the renewing of our mind and to put on the new self, that, that Satan's just not going to sit idly by and let that happen. He doesn't want you to live a, a contented, humble life before God. He, he wants to do everything he can to destroy you. And, and Paul, in previous chapters of Ephesians, uh, has told us that when we are living this way and we are growing certain areas, what does Satan do? I don't think he's going to attack us in those areas. I think he's going to look for other areas that maybe we are unaware of that are weaknesses in us, and he's going to attack us in those areas. John MacArthur says this. He says, A Christian who no longer has to struggle against the world, the flesh, and the devil is a Christian 
who has fallen either into sin or into complacency. A Christian who has no conflict is a Christian who has retreated from the front lines of service. Maybe you've heard it this way or you've said it this way yourself. Well, we're facing serious opposition here. We must be doing something right. Have you ever thought that way? Have you ever said that? Have you ever wondered the opposite? Life's pretty great and life's pretty smooth. Hmm. Now, I'm, uh, that's not a direct cause and effect. Don't, don't get me wrong. Uh, and there may be times when God is confronting us with something or not letting something go because that's not what he wants for us. But I think we need to be aware that there is this spiritual battle going on and we need to be prepared for it. We need to fight it. We need to fight it every day. Now, there are three truths that I want to point out concerning this spiritual battle that's raging on around us in the world that we live in, as Paul describes it in Ephesians chapter 6. First of all, we need to be aware and we need to understand that this spiritual battle is very real. It's very real. It's not something that parents have made up in their minds to try and get their kids to fear certain things or to behave in a certain way. This spiritual battle is real. There, there is a fabric to our life. There is a dimension that, that we are living in the midst that we can't see that's happening around us. Look at verse 10 right there. Paul says, Finally, Be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Now, have you ever been caught unaware or surprised by something where you later thought to yourself, if I had only known what I know now, I would have done that differently. Or I would have responded in a much better way. If I had only known that all of the gas pump handles in Minnesota uh, are green and not only the diesel fuel ones are. Didn't happen to me, it happened to my daughter. But it was true, and it was too late. She's already driving down the road and her car quits, and then she realizes, uh oh, what did I just do? Uh, there were uh, a couple guys out hunting. You know, it's hunting season, so we need a hunting story in here. A couple guys are out hunting, and they come along this huge hole. I mean, it's, it, it's huge, and they can't see the bottom of it. So they're, they're, they're discussing, well, I wonder how, how deep it is. And one guy says, well, we should throw something in the hole and wait and listen. How many of us have been there, done that? I, you find one of those old water wells, right? It's just the casing. As a little child, I used to drop rocks down those all the time. Ting, 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 ting. So these guys are like, well, let's find out how deep it is by throwing something in. And they're kind of looking around. And this one hunter suggests, here's an old car transmission. Help me out. We'll toss it in the hole. And we'll see how long it takes it to hit the bottom. So they do that. They, they take this car transmission, they throw it in the hole, and they're standing there, you know, and they're both looking, and all of a sudden there's this rustling in the bushes behind them. So they step aside, and this goat comes running out of the bushes at 100 miles an hour without hesitation, comes to the edge of the hole and jumps in. And they look at each other like, what on earth is going on here? And, and after a couple minutes, this farmer comes rustling through the bushes, and he's like, hey, have you guys seen my goat? 
And they're like, yeah, we actually have. He came out of the bushes, running 100 miles an hour, jumped in this hole. And the farmer's, the, the farmer's like, there's, there's no way he could have done that. I had him chained to an old car transmission. If I had only known. <laughs> right? I could have done something different. Uh, and the Bible very clearly tells us that there is one and many others along with him who seek to oppose us on a daily basis. He is as real as you are looking at me this morning. We can't see him. We don't know what he's up to or where he is or, or, or what's going on. But uh, since the very beginning of the creation of the world, he has been here to influence us in a negative way. Look at Revelation chapter 12, verse 9. It'll be up here on the screen. It points to the reality of his existence and how he came to be here. It says this, the great dragon not literal, but figuratively, the great dragon was hurled down, that ancient serpent called the devil, or Satan, who leads the whole world astray. He was hurled to the earth, and his angels with him. The consequence of his uh, is going against God was to be cast to the earth, and all those angels who followed him with him. He decided that he wanted to be God. He wanted to be equal. God created Satan. He, he was one of the most beautiful angels that God had created. And it all seems to have gone to his head because he decided in his free will that he was going to be like God. And you just don't do that with God. And he was hurled to the earth and his angels with him, as described in Revelation. And he's been out to get God through us ever since. He's been out to get us ever since. I mean, we're going to see in Genesis chapter 3, uh, verses 1 through 5, we're going to see this. Now, the serpent was more crafty, it says in verse 1. It's in the Garden of Eden. From the very beginning, um, the devil is scheming, and we need to be aware of that. That's the first bullet point under your first note. The devil schemes. We need to know that they're real. He started twisting the words of God when he was in the Garden of Eden, and he put doubt in even Adam's mind that, that God really had their best interest in mind, that God could be trusted. Oh, well, he didn't mean this. Oh, oh really? He didn't mean that? Well, what did he mean then? Well, of course he filled in the blank there. You've seen those commercials where, where it's like you had one job, right? They had one command, one, one thing to, to obey. All the rest was given to them. And Satan twisted it, and they fell into his trap. And then later, he tries that same tactic with Jesus in the wilderness. Matthew chapter 4, Jesus is led into the wilderness by the Spirit to be tested, to be tempted. Satan takes advantage of that opportunity, starts twisting the word. And what does Jesus do in response to Satan's twisting the word? He points to the word. And he says, no, this is what the Bible says. 
No, this is what the Bible says. Uh, he is real, Satan, and we have to remember that he doesn't fight fair. He doesn't fight fair. You ever been playing a game and somebody, you know, does something underhanded or whatever, and you're like, that's not fair! It's how Satan fights. The second thing that we need to be aware of when it comes to the fact that Satan is real is that our battle is not with each other. I, I, we, honestly, we mess this up every day, don't we? Oh, our battle isn't against each other. Now, there are things that we need to stand against, and it works itself out in our relationships with each other, but the ultimate battle is not with each other. Paul says that, that each other is not who our battle is against. Our battle is not against flesh and blood. Look at the person sitting next to you and say, my battle is not against you. My battle is not against you. Look across the room. Look behind you. Look in the balcony and think to yourself, my battle is not against that person. Think about your enemy, the one who opposes you every day. Listen, Paul says it right here. Our battle is not against flesh and blood. It's not with them. We need to remember this. Think of those on Facebook or at work who just seem to know the right buttons to push to get your blood boiling. Right? I mean, you read some, and here, of course, lately, you read some political post, and your attitude just goes out the window. Remind yourself that my battle is not against them. It's against what? The rulers, the authorities, the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. You see, if they're not a Christ follower, if, they're, if they haven't been saved by grace, they don't know any different. This is normal life for them. And instead of, instead of coming hard against them, what we really ought to do is pray for them, have grace and patience with them, and try and take advantage of opportunities to share the love of Christ with them, not tell them why they're an idiot for believing that. Right? But that's where our mind goes. It's easy to type out some words and hit send without even considering the consequences of what that might be doing to that other person's thinking or even your ability or opportunity to share the love of Christ with them one day. We need to recognize that our battle is not with each other. And we also need to recognize that the opposition is dark, evil, and spiritual. Oh, but I, I just don't see it, Pastor Dave. I mean, things aren't that bad in and around my life. And besides, Jesus overcame Satan on the cross, right? So he still doesn't have any power over me, which is partly true. But you see, we, we give him power over us when we don't stay true to the word of God and and uh, we're going to see as we continue through this chapter that there is an active part of ourselves that helps in this situation. We, we just can't go on living willy-nilly in life 
only caring about ourselves and not acknowledging the fact that Satan is real and dark and evil and active. See, everything that Paul has been giving us for the last couple of chapters to obey, and I trust that you've been studying this along with us, uh, God's commands of what to do and how to live holy lives, seeking to do what's right, I mean, you know, skim through those, think about those things. When we let those things slide, we're not intentionally living our life. I mean, I, I know how it is. Oh, man, I've, you know... I'm so tired. I work so hard, and I just don't really care to change the channel. I'm just going to watch this. Or, or it could be, it could surround, you know, um, parenting your children, or, you know, Satan doesn't stop. Satan, does, he's not tired along with you, and he's like, oh, I'm going to take a half time. You know, just do whatever. No, the opposition is dark, evil, and spiritual. How else does an entire nation, granted we all didn't acquiesce to this, but how on earth does an entire nation come to the conclusion that we can just, whenever we want to, terminate an unborn child? How else does that happen unless there are spiritual evil dark forces at work within a dimension that we don't see? And, and if we're not intentional about fighting against those things, they just happen to us and to others. You know, you might be sitting here, there, there may be a teenage girl sitting right here who has committed her life to Jesus Christ and said, I'm going to live a certain way. And one day in a coming year, they make a poor decision, and they become pregnant, and then, and, and then reality hits. Or uh, a new parent uh, is convinced by the hospital that there's some genetic disease in their unborn child, and that the best thing to do for you and for the child would be to reboot and start over and try and have another one. That has happened in my own family. Not my immediate family. It is dark and deceiving, and we have to be aware that it's happening, or we can be caught unaware. How else do certain people uh, decide and determine that it's okay to denigrate another race of people, that it's just acceptable? You know, that's okay. Or, or that unnatural sexual relationships are not only acceptable, but, but we have to give people the right to engage in them. And I mean, I could go on, right? Dark, evil, and spiritual. Remember, though, that our struggle ultimately isn't against those who are making those decisions, but those who are influencing them. Our struggle is against who is behind them. Have you ever heard the saying, the devil made me do it? How many of you have heard that? Anybody under 20 heard that saying ever? A few of you. You know, it's, it's, it's interesting. Um, back in the 70s and 80s, it was actually kind of a, 
uh, one of those things that was said a lot. But I wonder why it's not said a lot today. And I've wondered to myself, it's because we don't care. I don't care what evil I do or how I do it or what made me do it or what influenced me to do it. I want to do it, so I'm just going to do it. No excuses. Anyway, the devil doesn't make us do anything. But he sure goes to great strides to tempt us to and to try and influence us to. The Bible says that one of the reasons Jesus came, uh, look at it here, it's, it's in 1 John chapter 3, verse 8. The one who does what is sinful is of the devil, not possessed by, but influenced by, because the devil has been sinning from the beginning. He's the author of sin. The reason the Son of God appeared was to what? Destroy the devil's work. Destroy. That Jesus came to destroy the devil's work. So, so didn't he? Didn't he do that on the cross? Didn't he conquer sin and death? Yes. Yes, he did. Jesus was the perfect sacrifice on our behalf. He came as a man. He lived a perfect life. He surrendered himself to death, death on a cross. He was crucified. He was buried. He rose from the dead three days later, and the Bible tells us that he conquered sin and death. He conquered it. It has no hold or power over him or anyone who is a Christ follower any more. In fact, we learned in Ephesians that as a Christ follower, we have received eternal life and many, many other spiritual gifts, and we need to know those things. I mean, he chose us before the foundations of the world. He is that big. He is that powerful. So then why the spiritual battle, right? Have you ever, have you ever wondered that? Why then is there this incredible struggle on a daily basis in this spiritual way? And I'm, of course, I'm glad that you asked that question because, because God hasn't ended it yet. Jesus' death on the cross was the beginning of the end, so to speak. Je Make no mistake, Jesus' death and resurrection changed the universe and how it operates. But there is more to come. The end has been decided. God just hasn't completed it yet. Now, I know what you're thinking, and I'm with you. Lord, tarry no longer, please. Please. But he doesn't work the way we do. He has a plan. Um, when it happens, it's not up to us. So what, what are we left to do? We are left to continue to fight and struggle against the reality of the spiritual battle. So think about this with me. After the D-Day landings of the Allied forces in France on June 6, 1944, during World War II, victory on the Western Front was ensured. Once D-Day occurred and it was successful, there was no doubt any longer that the Allied forces were going to have victory. But the Allied troops had to keep fighting the Germans 
until they surrendered on May 5th, 1945, almost a year later. In the interim, the battle was fierce, but ultimate victory was never in doubt. That's the way it is for us. Jesus Christ has decisively won the victory. We know how it ends in the end, right? But we're not on the other side of the end. end. We're between now and the end. And just like them, we continue to fight. And until the end, when Jesus returns, our struggle will be fierce, but our victory is not in doubt. Our ultimate victory is not in doubt. We must be aware and understand, again, that the spiritual battle is very real. The second truth in our passage this morning. What time is it? 11 or 10? Oh, I tell you. 10 after 12? Wow. September went really fast, but that last day was really long. Number two, the second truth is this. We are called to stand firm. Therefore, Paul says in verse 13, put on the full armor of God so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground and after you have done everything to stand, stand firm. Stand firm. Don't give in. Resist. Fight in opposition with the same veracity that Satan is coming at you with. And we can do this when we're prepared. Now, I'm not a big boxing fan, but you see this all the time in the ring. You know, the boxers are sparring, and, and they're doing their thing, and they're fighting, and all of a sudden, out of nowhere, this left hook comes and just clobbers the other guy, and he, he gets knocked out. Why did that happen? He didn't see it coming. Right? Maybe if he'd studied that boxer, that other boxer's fight a little bit better, he might have recognized that teams do this all the time. It's why they watch film of other teams. What are their tendencies? What might they do in this situation? What might they do in that situation? It's, it's standing, for, it's being ready. That's what Paul is saying. You know, but, you know, we get tired and we get lazy, and I know that happens to me. I let my guard down. I forget I'm still fighting a battle. And the battle overcomes, overtakes me. Um, so, first of all, uh, Paul says he calls us to stand. First of all, we're able to stand because our strength comes from the Lord. Finally, verse 10, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. There's no better place to be than in his mighty power. In the Lord and in his mighty power. That's where Jesus' strength came from, uh, from the Lord, well, himself. <laughs> That same power is available to us on a daily basis. Resurrection power. Remember, that doesn't come from us. It's not how we live or we, we do this thing or we, we prove or justify ourselves somehow. No, that all comes from our Creator. We can't fight the spiritual battle with our own puny little human power and strength. It won't work. We will lose every time. We must be strong in the Lord and in His mighty power, but we also can't just sit back for the ride, can we? That's not what Paul says. Paul says we are to stand our ground. We are to put on the armor. We are to do everything we can to stand. So, so we aren't just along for the ride. Our strength comes from the Lord, and we are to arm ourselves. 
put on the full armor, Paul says. That's intentional action. Don't show up to a gunfight with only a knife. You're going to lose. Paul says, arm yourselves. You know, every time I haul a football team or a basketball team or a volleyball team to, to an event, the coach gets up in front of the bus before we leave and says, all right, everybody have everything? In fact, this last Friday, we were going a long ways away. The, the middle school coach made every player show him that they had their helmet. <laughs> I'm guessing somebody forgot one one time. You can't play football without a helmet. If you don't take that with you, you're done. You can't help your team. We need to arm ourselves with the things that God says that we need to arm ourselves with so that we can stand. <laughs> not only that, but, but when you forget your stuff, when you're not ready, when you don't have your armor, you shortchange the rest of the team because you're not there. And we need you. We are a team. We are a family. We need each other. We need everyone dressed properly and ready, and we also need to establish a good stance. I mean, uh, we need to lean into the opposition if necessary. I wanted to show the video of that, of that weatherman, you know, who was leaning into the wind when the other guys were just kind of walking around behind him. Y'all see that? <laughs> that takes fake news to a whole new level. Anyway, uh, not that we ever trust our weathermen anyway, you know, because they're wrong what? How, how it, there's it, nine out of ten, so if you and I were doing it, we were working at a job and we were wrong nine out of ten, you think we could keep our job? I, I, I'm, it's just hard, right? It's just a guess anyway. They're trying to, they're trying to prophesy to us the works of God. No wonder they're wrong so much. Um, but we need to establish a good stance. We need to be prepared. We need to, we need to put our, ourselves in a position of strength. And of course, that position of strength we know comes from humbling ourselves before our Creator and before God and surrendering to Him. Uh, there are defensive and there are offensive stances. And sometimes there's different times in life where it calls for a different kind of stance an offensive one or a defensive one. And I don't mean offensive. I mean offensive, and we need to get the difference between those two things. Establish a good, good stance. And number three is this. We need to dress for the fight. We need to put on the full armor of God. And then, and then Paul goes through these, and I'm not going to read the entire passage, but you can follow along with me. Paul says that we need to dress for the fight by putting on the belt of truth. Don't get caught with your pants down, Paul says, because that's what happens when we don't wear our belts. Essentially, we can get unnecessarily exposed if we don't wear the belt of truth. Right? So take time every day to read and memorize, to, to learn what the Bible says. What does it say about sin? What does it say about salvation and, and living life and eternity and, and the hope that we have in Jesus and your value to him and what he did for you? He knows how many hairs are on your head for crying out loud. He, he loves you. That's how well he, he knows you. The belt of truth. Dress for the fight with the breastplate of righteousness in place. I mean, God calls us to live a life worthy of our calling. And, 
and we need to recognize that that we are vulnerable and we are weak in certain areas. And when we fail, when we mess up, we need to surrender. Again, uh, what was our memory verse from last week? First John 1 John 1.9, right? If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us, what? From all unrighteousness. And when we do that, when we confess to him and when we confess to one another, because we're commanded to do that as well, we are essentially putting on the armor of God and the breastplate of righteousness. The belt of truth, breastplate of righteousness. We need to dress for the fight with feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. Whew. You need to have ready shoes on. We have shoes for everything in our culture. Some of us even have one of each in our closet. It's not me, by the way, but some of us. We have hiking shoes. We have shoes for every sport. There's formal shoes. There's snowshoes. There's beach shoes. There's horseshoes. <laughs> and as we fight this spiritual battle on a daily basis, that's what Paul is dressing us for. We need to remember that Satan doesn't win and that we give ourselves the advantage when we put on the armor of God and uh, Satan doesn't have power over us. The gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ, gives us peace. Have you ever had somebody say, you know, I'm really afraid to die. Why? Well, I just don't know where the gospel of peace, an assurance of salvation, peace, that, that, that we are a true child of the king, that we've been adopted into his family, that we are citizens of his kingdom. We are ready for Satan's attacks and lies when we have established this stance with our feet fitted, and peace will reign, not turmoil. Have you ever seen the fear in an aggressor's face when they take a swing at somebody with the biggest, most powerful punch they got, and they hit him across the jaw, and, and the receiver of that attack sort of rubs their cheek and smiles? Have you ever seen the fear in the other guy? That's what happens with Satan. When we're ready, when we're fitted, when he's doing all he can, and, and, and we have the, the, the peace, the gospel of peace, and we're resisting, what does Satan do? What does God's word say he does? It says, flee. He flees. Resist the devil and he'll what? He'll flee from you. But you've got to be ready. You can't be caught with that left hook. And if you are, again, remember, there is forgiveness. There is restoration. That's why we have 1 John 1, 9. So let's also dress for the fight by, the next one is wielding the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. And I love that word picture. I mean, he's back there letting it fly, trying to get you to do whatever and all of this, and you're just, you're just like this, right? All those arrows are just getting extinguished, Paul says. The more we study, the more we know, and, 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 and actually, the more I, I prepare for this next series, the more excited I get to talk about faith. What is that? What does that look like in your life and in mine? Yes, our faith is in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Not money, not power, not success, not sex, not our government, not possessions, but in Christ alone. 
And it extinguishes those flaming arrows and helps us to stand our ground when we are attacked. Yes, dress for the fight by also putting on the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit. The helmet protects our heads, our minds. It, it helps clear our understanding of salvation and what that is. So when Satan tries to slip in the, the, the half-truths, we can say, no, no, that's counterfeit. Here's the truth. Here's what it says. The helmet of salvation, the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God, our one source of truth. There's no fake news here. You can trust this every day, all day. And finally, Paul says this, pray. Paul says, pray. Are you afraid sometimes? I am. Well, you're in good company, and not because I am, but because Paul is. Look at verse 19. Paul says, pray also for me that whenever I speak, words may be given me so that I will fearlessly make known the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in chains. Pray that I may declare it fearlessly as I should. Twice, he says, I need to... to to uh, speak this fearlessly, which to me says that there are times when Paul was afraid. And he needs that prayer. He needs that boost. So if Paul is asking for, for prayer so that he's not uh, afraid, don't fear yourself about asking someone else to pray for you so that you're not afraid. so that we will stand in its truth and share it when the circumstances present themselves. Let's pray for one another this week. The battle is real, and it's alive and well. Let's humble ourselves before the Lord and pray for each other. Take time each day to pray for each other. Join the 40 days of prayer, the prayer events over the next 47 days. There's, there's going to be prayer walks and fasting together. The prayer calendar will be available next week. Let's stand together. Let's, let's stand firm. Like, like Eleazar, one of King David's fighting men. Caleb, you can come on up here. I just have two more verses to, to present to us this morning. 2 Samuel 23.10. I love this. I came across this, this this week. But Eleazar, who's one of King David's mighty fighting men, right, stood his ground and struck down the Philistines till his hand grew tired and froze to the sword. The Lord brought about a great victory that day. I think for us, what a a challenge. Let's fight the spiritual battle every day with the veracity that maybe, maybe that sword that we're fighting with freezes to our hand. You know, you've done that before, right? You're, you swing a hammer so much one day and you're not used to it and you, your fingers just, you got to pry them away from the hammer, right? Let's fight the spiritual battle that way. And then there's this, 1 Peter 5, 8, and 9, be alert and of sober mind, your enemy, the devil, who is real, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Those aren't nice words. Devour, destroy, resist him, standing firm in the faith because you know that the family of believers throughout the world is undergoing the same kind of sufferings. Let's, let's stand together. Let's stand. Let's stand. 
And let's stand together on the truth of God's word and let's praise our Lord Jesus Christ in this last song as we're dismissed today.